Welcome to the Living on Purpose podcast. I am your host, Maudie Wollner, a multiple business owner, life coach, busy mom of three, and curious student of life. This podcast is a place for inspired women to gather. Each week, I will share personal stories, quick inspo, strategies that you can implement right away, and engage in real conversations with badass women who have made the conscious decision to live a life on purpose one that they have intentionally designed and that they now demand. No more allowing our lives to be defined by everyone else. No more putting ourselves on the back burner. No more living in a state of default and never going after our goals or our dreams. We are gonna live our best lives on our terms. Living on purpose is our goal and we're gonna get after it starting right now. Okay, peeps, this part of the show is my big old virtual hug, and thank you for reviewing my podcast, My Labor of Love. These ratings and reviews seriously mean the world to me. This comment comes from Orange West. Orange says, inspiring conversations that make you realize you can do it too. Maudie is a wonderful host and inspiring woman herself who lets us see we can design the life we truly want and interviews women who back this up. Great podcast. This legit made my entire week. Thank you so much, Orange West. And I would love to hear what you think of the show. Leave a review and I will make sure to get a shout out to you on a future episode. Valerie Fuchs, welcome to the Living on Purpose podcast. I have been so excited about this conversation ever since you agreed to having it with me. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. I mean, I was really excited when you asked me and I don't know, it's just, I've, I've done a couple um, sort of interviews with some people before about, and I just, I just love telling the story and like in a way, you know, that might inspire other people. And oh my. There's, there's been so many people that have inspired me through this process. So kind of pay it forward, I guess. Oh my God. You, yeah. Anybody who is lucky enough to tune in, I know without even getting one minute into this interview, the inspiration will be one of the main takeaways for sure. So thank you so much, especially because you are so freaking busy right now to take a (laughs) whole hour out of your Saturday to be with me. I just really appreciate it. So Let's just dive right in, and why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners, you know, tell us a little bit about what you got going on, and what I'm really excited right now. Well, okay, that's a lot. Um, Yep. (laughs) So, I'm Valerie Fuchs. I went to uh, college at Gonzaga University with Maddie, so we've known each other for quite a a long time now. Um, We're not that old. (laughs) No, no, we're not that old. It's been a short period of time, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of stuff has happened during it. Totally, totally. <laughs> um, I grew up in Spokane, big Catholic family, went to Gonzaga. Uh, I actually got a civil engineering degree and then went on to grad school at Michigan Tech, got some more education. Um, and then I worked for us as a, as a civil engineer for about 10 years. I always had this difficulty identifying myself as an engineer. I never felt like that was the right fit for me. Um, I think I'm just, I'm not quite that much of a linear thinker. I like working with people more. And so I was always, even through that whole process, I was kind of like, maybe I should be doing something else. And I, I explored some different ideas, but never really kind of settled on what that would be. I just felt like 
really, I want to be working with people more one-on-one helping to improve their lives. Um, you know, there's so many ways to do that. What would be right for me? And it wasn't until it, it was about four years ago in August, uh, my mom got really sick. She had been progressively getting sicker, but got sick enough that she needed to go to the hospital. And um, she was diagnosed with a really rare neurodegenerative disease, a brain disease called Creutzfeldt-Jakob disease. That's like, if you remember, like maybe 20 years ago, there was lots of news about mad cow disease, Yeah, especially in England. That's so CJD is basically the human version of that. And it causes like a, a very rapid degradation of the brain matter. And so you just lose, you lose your ability to do everything. Um, and she passed away from that, um, in August of 2016. And through that process, like the three weeks or so of her being in the hospital and in hospice, I, I mean, it was obviously incredibly stressful and devastating, but I also had this time where I could kind of watch her doctors in action. And I just found myself so impressed by them and their, like their compassion that they showed towards her and towards our huge family that was hanging around the hospital the whole time Yeah, and their ability to just like dig in and solve this really challenging problem. It was a, it was a very, very challenging diagnosis because it's so rare. And so I just, I kind of jokingly had this thought of like, maybe I should become a neurologist. Um, I thought in that moment. For yeah, you. it was during that time sometime, like right around mm-hmm. that time. I don't remember exactly if it was like right before or right after she died, but it was definitely within that, that time frame. And I kind of spoke that thought out loud to my dad and to my then boyfriend, Calvin, now fiance, and I, and both of them were like, yeah, maybe you should. You should check that out. And I was like, wait, really? (laughs) Uh, So yeah, over the next several months, I started exploring that idea and what it would take and what that might look like. And over the last few years, um, I shadowed lots of physicians to see what their life is like, what their day to day, what their, you know, what the different specialties they practice. And I spent time working, volunteering with hospice patients and in an emergency room to see if I really wanted to spend the rest of my life working with sick people, you know? And it was, it was really incredible. You would think that volunteering with hospice patients sounds really, really sad. But what I found was everybody only dies once. You have this time beforehand to get to know them. It's like you can build a relationship, even with a person who's got dementia, there's somebody still there who is worthy of that you know, sort of love and compassion and being identified as a real human being of an individual person. And so there was, there were with each person, there was like this time that I got to spend with them. That was like a blessing, you know, it was really cool. So yeah, I just was like, so inspired through the whole process. And of course had to do school, more school for, you know, (laughs) prereqs for med school, then take the MCAT. Um, but the whole time I was like, wow, I'm learning so much fascinating stuff. This is awesome. I, and at every part of every step of the way, as many challenges as there might've been, I was like, yes, this feeling more and more like this is what I want to do. And so, uh, it took a couple years of applying. Um, okay. Let's, let's pause really quick. Cause sorry. Yeah. So much good, good stuff. Yeah, sure. Already that I want to rewind if that's okay. 
Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm writing down your last statement so we can start up again. I was probably um, going into more detail than you wanted. No, it's all good. No, this is so perfect. This is so perfect because your story is, is, is not inspiring because of what you at the end achieve, right? Because you're still in your story. Oh yeah. It's still the journey. It's still a journey. And so there's so much to unpack and it's so inspiring from, from the beginning. And so 10 years as a civil, civil engineer, I can't even say it. That's funny. You're like, I can't even say, say it. And like, <laughs> <laughs> um, you said it just never felt like the right fit for you. Yeah. Because you wanted to be working one-on-one with people. What did it feel like to you to be in a career that wasn't the right fit? It made it extra challenging. I mean, some of the things that I liked about engineering was that it's a good intellectual challenge. There's interesting problems to solve. And if I took a sort of long view in the environmental projects that I was doing, it was having, you know, some benefit to our local communities, Um, you know, but I, I never really felt on the day to day that this is like the project management that I was doing and the, you know, shuffling of numbers and stuff that was that never really had this like positive impact Mm -hmm. that I felt like it was having. Um, I worked with great people, but Mm -hmm. most of the time, most of my time was spent right here at the computer, you know, uh, crunching numbers or writing reports or those kind of things. Yeah. And so I, yeah, I just, I didn't have as much of the sort of human contact that I wanted. Um, even though I had great coworkers, I, there wasn't, what we were doing was not directly impactful enough. Right. For you. Feel fulfilled, I guess. Right. Um, so would you say that your 10 year uh, career was a success? Was it successful? Yeah, I would say it was successful and I don't regret it. I mean, I learned a ton. Um, everybody, I know that going into this new career, I'm going to have plenty of days where I'm not, you know, it's not, the most amazing, like saving somebody's life or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's going to be, there's going to be some grind, you know, there's gonna be a lot of grind. Right. And what I learned in engineering, you know, doing my, my engineering career was that I had to, sometimes I had to like stop and reframe how I was thinking about things. If I was feeling really unmotivated or really frustrated or really like out of place, I felt like, okay, I've got to stop and find something interesting in this or find something that can motivate me to do a good job here because doing a good job was important to me. You know, I was contributing to a team effort. I was contributing to the long-term benefit of some, you know, lake or river or whatever. And so that was important. And so I felt like, okay, I've got to find a way to motivate myself. Mm -hmm. Um, But that also made it. So I felt like there was like an extra energy requirement. So sometimes it was like extra exhausting. Absolutely. And so I think what I'm hearing is that even in the midst of a very successful career, we can feel unfulfilled Mm -hmm. and like it's not the right fit and want more. How how did that feel? Was that scary? Was that like, oh no, any of those thoughts? Um, Yeah. I don't know about scary. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't want to make a big change and find it was like, and I was ending up in a place that wasn't going to work for me. Mm -hmm. So, um, 
you know, I had explored like becoming a high school science teacher or becoming a massage therapist. Okay. Um, some other ideas that would be more, more working with people, but you know, I, in the end, I just felt like for various reasons, no, that's not quite the right path for me. It's not quite going to give me that sense of fulfillment that I'm looking for. Okay. Um, that's a really good point then. So you didn't, it wasn't just like, Oh, I'm going to do so, so I need to do something else. And then someone's like, Oh, you should be a doctor. You had been exploring all different. Options. I had been thinking for a while about trying to find something else. Yeah. I just hadn't found it yet. Okay. So you did the research. You really explored what you love about engineering that you could take with you and find in a new career. And then also what you didn't love and you could find elsewhere. I think that's amazing, amazing piece of information when we're looking for a pivot. It's really getting clear on where we are, what yeah. we don't like about it, that we want to leave behind, and then the stuff we want to bring with it. So it's, I'm so glad that you mentioned that, that it wasn't just like, oh, you know, the heavens opened and the light shined down and you're like, oh, now I know what I need to do. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> Okay. And, which was, I have to say, a long period of of some discomfort and feeling, you know, and it was sort of like, okay, I got to keep sitting with this discomfort okay. and don't just give it to something else because I want out, you know? Okay. Yeah. So how did you know it was the right time? How did you know it was the right thing? I still don't. Entirely. Oh, I love that. Oh, <laughs> yes. Okay. I spent the last four years testing this out. I, I spent, I don't know, a hundred hours shadowing different physicians and seeing what their day to day is like and what their specialties are like and, you know, what their lives look like doing what they do. Um, I spent, I don't know how many hours volunteering in and seeing, you know, what different, um, hospice and, and different hospital situations were like. So I, you know, I was like, I'm not, I don't know if you can ever be a hundred percent sure that it's the yep. right thing. Right. But yep. I just felt like there is the chance, there's a, such a huge chance now that I know what I know about this, that yep. this is going to be an amazing change an amazing career that I feel like is going to be beyond, you know, everything that I was looking for before plus more. Oh um, so so yeah, it feels totally crazy at this age to be changing careers. Okay, how old are you? I'm 39 and I, you know, having built a successful career in a totally different direction and then leaving that behind. I mean, when I quit my job, the last day of my, like I went and handed my stuff in in August and I cried. No, <laughs> I was like, I can't believe I, this is, and I felt totally empty for like several days afterwards. Cause I was just like, Oh my God, I just jumped off a cliff. Like I left this huge thing and now I'm starting something brand new. I don't know what it's going to take. This is nuts. This is absolutely crazy. I didn't feel like it was the wrong decision, but I mean, it took me by, it was a shock. That feeling, that feeling of the empty of the, Oh my gosh, I wasn't expecting that. Feeling. Oh, I was expecting to be like, here you go. Bye engineering. I'm going to be a doctor. I'm so excited. No, I didn't feel that at all. I was like, just sort of stunned and, and, and sort of like, it was like, I told Calvin, it was like breaking up with someone when, you know, you have a great relationship with them, but you're going this different directions. Yes. So, great analogy. Absolutely. Yeah, it felt sad. It felt like, Oh, I, now what, you know, sort of thing, but yeah. 
Now Thank I know. You. Now what? <laughs> yeah. See, I think these these like inside questions where how we feel are the ones that aren't talked about because when we look at someone's end or even like what they share on the on social media, it just seems very like linear and and happy and exciting. And so I just so appreciate you saying like I felt empty for a couple of days. That's yeah. We've all felt that and we don't talk about it. So it's yeah, so beautiful so. for sharing. Yeah. I'm curious. I want to know how you felt when you spoke the words out loud. Maybe I should be a neurologist. And both your dad and your brother, right? Both no, Calvin, my Calvin and your dad mm-hmm. were like, yeah. How did that make you feel? Um, well, so when I sort of thought it and then spoke it, I think it was a little bit of sense of lightheartedness. It was, you know, that was a very dark time, obviously. It was like this something lighthearted, sort of a, you know, here's a, a you know, here's a good thing that could come out of this sort of thought, like a little hope among the the devastation. And then when they both replied affirmatively, I felt, I mean, it was just like, that was, that was the oomph I needed to be like, okay, I'm going to go and explore this. It was just that affirmation of like, mm-hmm. that's, they, they both knew that I didn't feel the, the perfect fit in, in, in engineering okay. and that, you know, that I was maybe interested in doing something else. Got it. Um, so, so yeah, to have that support and that kind of like, Oh yeah, you could probably you'd probably be pretty good at that, or or what? I don't even remember exactly what they said, right, but right. yeah, maybe you should. I was like, oh okay, well I'm gonna see what that might take. Right, and I think that's also like such an amazing piece of information that I heard because we do need to be careful, I think, with who we share our dreams with. Because yes, yes. Um, and I will say I had over the course of the next of the following like four to six months. Um, I shared that I started investigating more, started sharing that dream with other people. Um, and I got different responses from different people and that was a little bit challenging to process. Um, and I'll give you some examples. One is, uh, my godmother who basically was like, you've already had a lot of education. And, uh, some of that was grant funded that essentially the government paid for. And you owe it to the community to just, you know, keep working now. <laughs> I was like, oh, wow. Thank you for that tidbit to consider. Right. Um, and then my best friend, you know, is a doctor herself. And she basically was like, what? Like, don't do it. You're crazy. This is not the be all end all you think it is. Okay. Um, she's and, and she's coming from a different perspective of having worked in that career for, yeah. I don't know, 10, 15 years now. And she has gotten into some like more, more management level, but pretty stressful circumstances. And okay. so she had a really different perspective on the excitement of going into medicine at this point. Absolutely. So, um, but she's super supportive now, now that I've like gotten in and, and figured out what the reality is. Right. I think that was her thing. She was like, don't go into this without understanding. Oh. See, she loved, they love you, right? It's the people that love you and they think that they're protecting you. And then they kind of like 
you needed the oomph and you got it from these amazing men in your life. Isn't it interesting that, that it, I mean, I have no idea if there's anything here, but then the women are like, oh, but the reality, oh, but we got to protect Valerie. And it's all from love. It's all. It's totally all from love. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. how did you, how did you negotiate that with yourself? These total different reactions to your dream. Um, I mean, the positive ones, obviously I just took and ran with it. Yep. The negative ones, I had to sort of sit with that for a little while and I didn't respond right away. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I, you know, had to stop and think like, what is the perspective in from which this is coming? Like, where are they saying this from? And that helped me. I think that helped me sort of like tell, like realize, okay, this isn't a purely just negative reaction. Like that's stupid. Don't do that. It's not that at all. It's somebody who's thoughtfully trying to express, you know, a different perspective on the situation. And it's coming from the fact that they care about me too. So yeah, I mean, it, it was, it was definitely a little bit of a challenge. I think of course, of course, because you have this big, huge, scary dream and you're going to leave all these things behind. Of course, it's going to be a challenge. But I love that what I'm hearing is you weren't defensive off the bat. You just no. like had to sit with it. And then in seeing their perspective, you were able to like affirm your decision even more. Yeah. I mean, I think what it did was it helped me understand. They helped me understand what kinds of questions I needed to mm. ask about this journey. Yeah. And that was true also there. So going through the med school application process, you have to write a zillion essays and answer a zillion questions. And um, a lot of those helped me think through questions to ask about this process too. So like, what is the day-to-day -day lifestyle going to look like? How much school do I have to go to? Am I ready to spend the next 10 years not making a salary? So they were able to challenge you and you were able to really kind of dive deep and get questions that you didn't even know you had answered. So again, it's what I'm hearing is again, you're, you're taking these kind of things that could seem negative, slowing down enough to really look at it and turning them into a positive. I think that's beautiful. Yeah. I did a lot of journaling through this process, whether it was like drafting out actual essays or just sort of like just journaling about, you know, these different interactions with people and how I felt about them and sort of like thinking through that. Um, cause you know, I, I would say, you know, you, you mentioned like that I didn't get defensive. Well, I would say that maybe not outwardly, like mm -hmm. inwardly, totally my hackles were up. Yeah. I was like, Oh, they don't think this is a good idea. Like why? And then it was like, okay, stop. Think, mm -hmm. why are they saying this? Yeah. How do I want to respond? What does and, it mean to me? And so many people would have let their dream die. Yeah, totally. Right there. Right, right then. You hadn't even started the essays or started the application or done the prerequisites. You know, right then and there, you could have hackles up. They're right. I'm done. Instead, you're like hackles up. Ooh, I'm feeling something. Let's, let's dive into that. Journal it out. Yep. I actually just did this this morning. So like, our lives are parallel. My hackles were up about somebody else's program that was very, very similar to mine. And 
And it's like, okay, instead of just reaching out to that person, why? Like asking myself all those questions, like, why am I feeling this way? And then I learned so much more just as you yeah. did. So yeah. it out. I think that's a great piece of advice too. Yeah. Okay. Let's get back to the timeline. Okay. Um, so then you decided uh, you're going to pursue this and you start applying. Is that what happened? Or did you have to apply for the prereqs first? Yeah. So this is kind of a long, complicated process. So um, about four years ago, that fall after my mom died, I was digging into what this whole process would take. And I figured out I have to do all these prereqs. I have to take the MCAT. I've got to get these, you know, shadowing and volunteer hours I've got. And then all once all of that is added up, then applications and interviews and the whole shebang. So first thing I did, Calvin, and this was actually Calvin's advice too. He was like, you know, why don't you uh, sign up for one of the prereqs and start taking a class at night? If you like that and you feel like this isn't something you want to, you know, keep moving forward with, then you move forward. But, you know, put, put one foot in the water and see how it feels basically. So I think that like that winter quarter, I started taking a class, some chemistry class. And I was like, yeah, I can, this is cool. I can do this. And I was still reading a lot about like neurodegenerative diseases and starting to, you know, build up this information about like what causes them and getting really interested in the sort of like the chemistry and biology and stuff. So um, I was like, yeah, yeah, okay. I want to keep doing more of this. So then I just, yeah, I just kept sort of building in a little bit more at a time. And I tried to do it in a structured way where I was like, where the timeline was going to work out where it wasn't, you know, all this stuff wasn't going to be stretched out over a whole bunch of years. Yeah, I was kind of, I actually wrote down, uh, organized, how did you stay that? <laughs> how did you stay organized throughout it all? I spent a lot of time organizing, actually. Yeah. I had some like Google spreadsheets that I made that had like, here's all the classes I've got to take. Here's when they're offered. Um, here's how the order of I'm going to take, you know, when I'm going to take them. Here's when I am planning to take the MCAT. And so backing out a study schedule for that. And then what actually what happened, I, so I did some shadowing. But what I didn't get started on as early as maybe I should have or something is the volunteering. Ooh, okay. And so actually my first round of applications, my first year of applying, I didn't get accepted mainly because I hadn't spent enough time in the school's minds or in their, in their perspective, I hadn't spent enough time with patients. Okay. So, and, so what does that mean you got? So how many did you apply for? How many? <laughs> How many times were you declined? Uh -huh. And what did that mean for you? Like for your Google spreadsheet out timeline. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the med school application process, you apply in, you submit one big application that's sent out to as many schools as you want. You submit that in June, 15 months before you want to start school. Okay. <laughs> so I don't even know when that was the first yeah. time. 2018 probably. Okay. Um, and, and I applied to 14 schools. Okay. In July, they sent me, each school sends out a secondary application and that's got a bunch of essays you've got to do for each school. So I submitted those by, you know, August or so. Okay. And then out of the 14 schools, I got invited for two interviews. So okay. I interviewed in the fall and 
waited, 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 nothing else got rejected in the spring. And I was just, I had, I was really disappointed because one of the interviews in particular, I felt like it went so, so well. And, um, I, I was just kind of stunned. Uh, but I, again, stopped and reflected like, why didn't this work? And I could look back and, and I could look at kind of like, there's all these people online who are saying, oh, you need this or that for, you know, to get accepted and blah, blah, blah. And so I knew that my, my hours for um, the volunteering were low, but I also got a half hour phone call with the Dean of Admissions at one of the schools that interviewed me. And she essentially read me the file of their comments on my application and interview. And their main comment was that I needed more experience, that I sounded really pretty naive about, you know, what it was like to work in the healthcare system. And so she specifically said, we want to see that you have, you know, we want you to have more clinical experience, more time with patients before you start medical school. So you really know what you're getting into. And I was like, okay, message heard. So um, that was when I really got some more time uh, volunteering with the emergency department and volunteering more with hospice patients. And what that really did for me was the second round of applications. Mm -hmm. I was there I had so much more depth in my essays and in my interviews answers because I could I had more experience to talk from. Right. So it wasn't just the number of hours, it was really like mm. the understanding of it. Absolutely. So how did that feel to apply to 14 and get into none? It sucked big yep. time. Yep. It really sucked. Um I feel like my history of <laughs> of like success and being able to sort of aim for something and and go for it and get it. I've had, I've, I've had a long string of success in my life and I haven't had very many like massive rejections like that. And that one, so that, yeah, but it was also stretched out over a long period of time. So okay. like in October, I got a handful of rejections like pre-interview from some schools uh-huh. and then that those more of those trickled in over the winter. And then the last two schools that interviewed me, I think I heard from them between like February and, and April or something. Did that make the longevity of the disappointment, did that make it worse or easier to kind of process along the way? Well, I guess I was in some ways, like after the first several came in, I was like, there was a part of me that was like, there's a chance I'm not going to get in anywhere. And if I don't, I need to do, I think I need to do X, Y, Z. And so I had started lining up those volunteer opportunities before I really even Mm -hmm. heard from those last couple of schools. Okay. Um, So I... I had, I guess it wasn't a complete surprise. I kind of had this maybe like, maybe I'm not going to get in anywhere. Yeah. Uh, and during that, maybe you stepped into action. You're like, yeah. well, here's what I get to do now. Yeah, and I, so- I guess I sort of figured like, well, if I do get accepted, this is still good experience anyway. Right. So I wasn't, it was not, I wasn't losing anything by doing it. Right. Did you ever feel like quitting after that? Um, no, no. I um, was really mad that I had to do another round of applications because it's so much work and it's really expensive. Yes. <laughs> but I was, if anything, I was more determined to get it right. Oh my gosh. I love that. So instead of looking at this as a complete failure, you're like, this is more motivation yeah. More determination to get it right the next time or the yeah. time after that, even if, you know, 
I, I don't like um, looking at failures as yeah. um, as like a reason to stop. I, I always, even though sometimes you have to kind of like sit through the pain and the frustration of it, but then taking that, like figuring out what you can use from it as kind of constructive criticism to, to get better and improve. Yeah. That's like, that's always my go-to. That's amazing. Um, especially after hearing like, oh, like the, that you're naive about the, the realities of healthcare mm-hmm. instead of being like, again, just like defensive, you could have just put up a wall and then like, they didn't, they don't really know me. You were like, okay, I'm going to go learn more. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. Um, that tough love. I mean, I think we've all, we can, I bet your story right now, Valerie is triggering. Whenever I listen to a podcast and someone shares a story like this, it triggers in me, my story of, yeah. of failure, quote unquote failure. Mm-hmm. And then looking back and like, oh my gosh, look at my resiliency actually. And, yeah. Yeah. and using that for the next one, right? Cause we're all going to, it's just like perpetual for life. We're going to have these times and situations. And so I think it's so beautiful that you have, you have so many and you've shared so many that I know our listeners are, are bringing up their experiences as well, which is so beautiful. Good. Good. Yeah. Okay. So then what happened? So then you did went around the whole, you did a second round of all the things. Yep. Okay. So the second round, um, I, oh boy, I got some more help on editing my first, like primary application. So I really strengthened like my personal statement and, and really made the story, I don't know, more powerful, I guess, mm-hmm. of, of why I wanted the, the personal statement is, you know, write 1500 words on why you want to be a doctor or why you want to go into medicine. And so it's, you know, you can go wherever you want with that, but it's really got to tie into that question. And the second time around, I really nailed it. And then I put, I mean, hours, I think I counted how many hours, how many essays that I wrote for the secondary applications. It was like 85. It was crazy. A lot of them have like similar themes. And so you can reuse some, some material and stuff, but wow. So Calvin was my editor in chief and he, this was another area where he is like a pretty incredible writer Mm -hmm. and editor. And he challenged me to the nth degree on these essays. And sometimes that was super difficult because I felt like I just poured my heart and soul on paper and then he's ripping it up. And I was just like, that was definitely a growth point for our relationship <laughs> is a nice way to say it. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. We butted the heads on that a little bit, but he pushed me so hard to improve those. And again, it was that like criticism from love, constructive criticism mm-hmm. from love. Yeah. And I felt like, so, I mean, we spent hours and hours on those essays and, and it was not all me. It was a massive amount of work from him too. And then the same thing, preparing for interviews. I, you know, I just, I practiced answering different types of interview, interview questions and really researched every school that I got in. Well, I researched every school I applied to, but I went even deeper when I got invited for interviews. And so that round, I applied to 20 schools, interview, got interview invitations for seven and ended up interviewing at six. Um, 
So yes, uh, even at that point, I was like, wow, this feels more successful, more, yeah. you know, so, something is coming out better. Absolutely. And those, those interview conversations all felt really good. I liked the schools I interviewed at, you know, so, and then when I, I eventually got four acceptances. Hey, uh, bro. Hey. Yeah. four, holy crap. Yeah. So it was super awesome. Um, and then I had to choose between them. And so, yeah, it was like, this is, this feels really, feels like things yeah. are working out, you know? Yeah. So on that part of the story, here's a couple things that I heard and I'd love to hear more on is this round you asked for help. Tell me, tell yeah, me about that, that. So I had gotten a little bit of help the first round. Mm -hmm. Um, there, I had gotten a little bit of help from a, there's different types of like, uh, consultants that will support, you know, help mm -hmm. review essays and, and, and look at your application stuff. So I've gotten a little help the first round and then Calvin had helped me with my secondary uh, essays the first round. Okay. But, um, so yes, I had more help the second round, but it was also that I had more, uh, experience to write from. And so the, those essays really went deeper and the interview responses went deeper. And I was just between the experience itself and the preparation um, of spending so much time on essays and interview practice, I was just more prepared to go in depth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It. I think that's an important part because I feel like with all these big dreams that we all have, the weird thought is we have to do it on our own. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, um, I'm on this like, uh, pre-med Facebook groups. There's probably four or 5,000 people that are all pre-meds going on this journey. Um, and various people post about that, like, and, and some people who really are more alone, you know, they don't have the family support that I have had and don't have someone else helping them. Um, but there, I think there are also a lot of people who don't seek out other possible yeah, help, absolutely. you know, and that's something that I feel like, yeah, if the help is available and I can access it, like, why not? They're Absolutely. offering and I can only benefit, right? Getting help doesn't diminish your achievement, exactly. right? Exactly. And it helps you build a relationship and, and that, that sense of resiliency that's going to support you going forward. Yes, absolutely. That's so I just wanted to make sure that I hit on that point because I think, like you said, even in the med group, so many people are like, doing this alone. It's like, we don't have to. And what that pre-med group is, is a community. Like you're already not alone. Yeah. Well, and here's, I mean, the other thing, like put in a little plug for you. I didn't, the other way I didn't do this alone was that I was, um, spending time trying to like, you know, do some of that reflection. Is this the direction I want to go and looking for other ways to sort of reinforce that reflection. Mm -hmm. And so I attended a couple of your living on purpose dinners yep. and we had that time to like, you know, ask these questions of ourselves and, and share that information. Those were so helpful to me. I think one of the ways that I felt like, or what reasons that I feel like this is the right direction for me is I reinforced the, the exploration of that from multiple different directions over the last few years. And all of those ended up sort of still pointing in the right, in the same direction. Yeah, absolutely. I think community is so huge and yeah. those dinners were so amazing. They, they filled my soul. And when, um, 
you were talking about your dad and Calvin giving you that positive reinforcement. I remember at the dinner, I don't know if you remember sharing with everyone that you were on this process. Yeah. Yeah. And everybody like cheered. Like it was like, no, it's so awesome. And that's such an amazing feeling. Like to tell somebody else you're, and, and that was the right kind of space to share it in. Right. Like others, I never shared it at my engineering job because I didn't expect such a positive response. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Um, So yeah, those, having those communities that will help you sort of reinforce asking the right questions and supporting you on your way to achieving your dreams. I think it's really, really important. Yeah. It's almost necessary. We can't do this alone. We're not meant to be alone. We're human, you know, it's like community is our jam. Yeah. The other thing that you said that I think is so, I just want to hit on it again. You said Calvin was giving you criticism, like tough, 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 tough criticism Mm -hmm. with, love Mm -hmm. and in our lives no matter what we do no matter what we do careers marriage you know parenthood uh being a sister being a daughter there's going to be criticism from love and then there's going to be criticism from hate Mm -hmm. and really being able to slow down enough to notice the difference because it is our responsibility to let the right criticism in. Yeah. In some ways that was a little bit uh, like some of the help that I asked for some of the sort of the consultants um, that I paid to help me with essays. One of the challenges with uh, listening to that or, or taking their advice was I was just like, you don't know me. I felt like, yeah. you know, you know how uh, med school applications should look, but you don't know me. Yep. And so I kind of had to stop and think like, what are they, how can I take what they're saying as useful? On the other hand with Calvin, you know, he was, he was pushing me really hard, asking some really challenging questions. Um, Style of of how he provides criticism is difficult sometimes. Very blunt. (laughs) Um, But I love him. (laughs) Of his bedside uh, manner, is it like yeah. up to stuff? <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's not. He's not the one that's going to be the doctor. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that was, you know, sometimes I really had to take a deep breath and be like, okay, what is he really trying to get at here? <laughs> mm-hmm. Is that? And we would talk it out. Like, you know, I I didn't always just take what he said and be like, okay, fine, I'll do it that way. Mm-hmm. You know, so we would sit and talk it out, and sometimes you know, he would back off and say, oh, okay, I see why you're trying to do this, but here's maybe a better way to phrase it. Mm-hmm. Or, and so both of us coming, you know, with this, like, okay, this is challenging, mm-hmm. uh, but we're going to sit with it and have an open mind and talk it out. Yeah. That is, then we could come to the right you know, spot and the growth. And it was growth for both of us. I feel like, like the way that we were learning how to um, navigate difficult conversations and mm-hmm. difficult emotions in our relationship and then take that and apply it in a way that, you know, improved my work product. Yeah. Was so beautiful. Awesome. That is awesome. Okay. So now where are you at? Have you decided between I've the four? Decided. Yes, I am at the university of Washington school of medicine. I we had orientation the last two weeks of August, um, and I just had my first 
uh, week of real class. And uh, it's been amazing. I mean, it's, I have already learned how to do a full physical exam. I've Ooh. already learned how to do an entire patient interview and practice both of those things. And I can't believe that. It's crazy. Um, I mean, obviously, I have a lot of practice to do and, and a lot of things to learn about all the details of it. But the fact that I already know how to do that now after two weeks is just insane. Um, and then we've started like the, the heavy duty science classes. And uh, it is, they say it's like drinking from a fire hose. Yeah. And I can say that that is true. <laughs> so, yeah. And based on what we've heard in this, in just this like short, interview we know that you got it like you persisted so many times you are so resilient like you've got it you've got the I hope so I mean like there's certainly been these feelings this week of like oh my god there's you know this is how am I ever going to learn all this information but then there's been this other, these other moments of wait I've seen some of this before in, in my pre-med classes this is just a little you know this is review and getting in a little deeper and yeah, it's a ton of information, but look how we're already linking all this stuff together and like talking about these you know, cases of different patients and how this science really applies. And so I feel like I'm getting enough of the excitement and inspiration to like keep me going through the like massive amount of material. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm super excited. I know that at some point something will come along and probably knock me down pretty hard, um, but that's just... That's just med school. So Do you have a game plan for that, Valerie? Just kind um, of, you know how we know when things are going to be hard and we can kind of prepare a bit and have like a toolbox that we can, or yeah, a, a what's my wine bottle. <laughs> uh, actually, my toolbox right now is kind of involves minimizing the wine because it's yep. not helping me sleep. And so like the, the toolbox actually is a really about, um, making sure that I'm getting enough sleep, yeah. exercise, yep. eating healthy. And um, I've been really trying to be diligent about getting back into my morning meditation mm -hmm. um, just so I have that, you know, 10 minutes a day of like being calm and sane, <laughs> uh, you know, cause that practice, you can go back to that during the day. Right. Yeah. Be like, okay, things are crazy right now. How am I handling this? Wait, I'm gonna just stop and take three breaths. Right. Uh, and if we don't practice, we don't know how to do that. Yeah, yeah. So it's and it's you know, in meditation, they're always like, oh, if you start thinking about things, just stop and come back to the breath. Okay, now just stop and come back to the breath. You know, it's like that. What what the key thing to practice is like that recognition of like I'm spinning stop and come back to the breath. And it's that practice. It's that like, sort of like, okay, now I'm calm again, or no, things aren't so crazy or no, oh, okay. I can handle this. Absolutely. It's beautiful. Valerie, you, as I promised our listeners have like over delivered. I have <laughs> so many takeaways from this interview. I can't even handle it right now. I am so appreciative of this time together. Um, and of you and of our relationship and reconnecting and you really facilitating that reconnection. You know, we went to Gonzaga together and we weren't, we weren't in the, we were kind of in the same circles, but you know, we weren't close and then you reached out and I just really appreciate it. And I thank you so much for that. Well, thank you. I'm so glad you invited me. And yeah, I mean, when I found out you were doing the living on purpose stuff and like working so hard to motivate other people, I was like, 
that's awesome. And I want to be, you know, a part of that. <laughs> yes. So, yeah. I, so thank you for letting me reinvite myself to your community. <laughs> yeah, anytime. Okay. Before we get off, I have to ask you the question that I ask everybody at the end. Uh-oh. I know. Valerie, what does living on purpose mean to you? Oh, okay. I, um, so actually we'll go back to, uh, something that my dad wrote to me. Did you ever go on a search retreat in college? No. Okay. Well, anyway, Gonzaga had this retreat and and they would invite people to, or people's parents to like write them letters when they were on it. Anyway, my dad wrote me this letter when I was in college. What he's one piece that he said in it was it's really important to like live your life in sort of these waves of reflection and action. And you can't just be self-reflecting all the time. And as he puts it like navel gazing all the time, doesn't get you anywhere. Um, But you can't just be like, go, go, go all the time and never stop and sort of like take stock of where you are and where you've come from and you know, what's working, what's not. Um, where you want to go. Like, so I think living on purpose for me means like that balance that like finding time for both of those things. Like you, you, sometimes you have to do, sometimes you have to put it into action. Sometimes you have to stop and think like, is this what I want to be doing? That's beautiful. Am I making the difference that I want to be making? Whatever you, whatever is the important question to you for your own purpose, Mm -hmm. right? stopping to reflect, am I going towards that purpose and then taking the action to do it? So that's my living on purpose. That's beautiful. You are beautiful. This interview is beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Absolutely. Thank you so much for tuning in to the living on purpose podcast. It has been a blast hanging out with you. If you love this week's episode, please hit that subscribe button. That way you won't miss any future goodness we throw your way. Craving community and connection with like-minded badass women? Feel free to join us in the Living on Purpose Facebook group. And of course, the best gift that you could possibly give is an honest review on iTunes. All right, that's it. Until next time, always keep living on purpose.